This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We'll do it live! Trigger. I can't really identify the, the systems exactly. Um, I can tell you that they were at least 40 to 50 years uh, in the future compared to everybody else. My God. This technology, uh, just mind-blowing things. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that strange? We were talking about the president, and all of a sudden we got cut off. I don't want to brag, but by myself, I killed the guy. Well, today I'm going to see you with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we probably go the You would not even know about the secret societies. You would not even know about the Illuminati. You would not know anything about the world conspiracy. <laughs> We're sorry. You have reached the European no longer in service. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light, no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity, and not so live and direct right now on the TuneIn Radio app. Search End of Days and you'll find a 24-7 network. Catch the podcast rendition on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, along with Google Play. Of course, you can also find the program on YouTube. The Pleiades, this star system, is a small cluster of seven stars located in the constellation of Taurus the Bull, which is 500 light years from Earth. What message do the Pleiadians have for the future of mankind? We'll find out. My first guest tonight is Christine Day, known as the Pleiadian Ambassador for the Planet. She is an internationally renowned spiritual teacher, healer, and channeler for 25 years. She is the author of multiple books. Her latest book is The Pleiadian Promise. Christine is fulfilling her mission to bring the teachings, channeled messages, and information from the Pleiadians in order to awaken humanity. After the break, a second guest will be joining me. I don't believe he's ever been interviewed anywhere else before. When I return... Gregory Hanford will be joining me live and direct. He is an artificial intelligence programmer and alien enthusiast. He has designed and constructed and implemented his own version of artificial intelligence using artificial neurons. Gregory has had several alien experiences in the form of dreams. Once again, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Welcome back to another dose of the Michael Deacon program. Tonight, yet again, is going to be a bit of a rattlesnake. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. Thank you for those listening here in America and those outside of America. Thank you for your great support. Now, let's get down to brass tacks now and bring on our first guest. Hello and welcome to the program, Christine. It's an honor and pleasure to speak to you. 
Well, Michael, it's just wonderful to be on your show. I just feel like it's the right time to talk. We've been um, had a few glitches, but it just feels like it's flowing now. So it'll be lovely to be on your show. Oh, yes. Unfortunately, this isn't live, but that that's going to happen every now and then. Technology is not yet on our side completely. No, it's called life. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so, Christine... Speaking of life, let's go back down to a memory lane. Let's go back to your earliest roots. It seems like there was a very, very traumatic experience you had during your childhood. Yes, well, you know, as a child, my um, I, I was given away to a cult, a satanic cult at the age of two till I was 13. Um, and so I went through a very, very... Um, more than challenging time, a very traumatic time, um, being in that cult, going through a lot of ritual abuse and sexual abuse. And so it left me really broken inside. Uh, there really was, it's like the very core of me was shattered and I really had no real sense of myself. So I came out of that, you know, as a young adult, really wounded and lost, you know, very lost. And, uh, as a, as a, an adult, by the time I was 31, I had been diagnosed with advanced systemic lupus and just given a very short time to live. And it was very interesting being in the hospital and the doc doctor saying to me, you know, you've got just a few months to live and really feeling a relief inside of me that I was going to die. I realized I actually hmm. wanted to die. You felt at peace. Well, not at peace, but... You know, it was almost like the pain inside of me from my childhood had, I had not dealt with it. And it was like it was easier to die than to live with that pain. Oh, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was an interesting time because in that moment, it was like my power, I'd given it away as a child through that whole breakdown of abuse. And I, in that moment, I realized I'd created something to kill myself. And that was a really, a powerful moment for me because it was like if I could create something to kill myself, then I could create my own healing. And it was like excitement running through me that I was even able to create that. And so at that moment, it was really like taking some of my power back. And I believe looking back in retrospect, that was the beginning of my own healing, my own process of healing. Understood. Um, can we go back? to that that experience for you what do you remember exactly and i i hope i i'm not causing any sort of traumatic experience to um come out here during this interview however i'm kind of curious if, if you recall the earliest i guess you could say memory of being taken away well it doesn't give me any um any angst now to talk about it. I've really healed from those experiences. But I think the biggest thing is the the isolation um, and the trauma. I, I remember a lot of children being there. Some didn't survive the experience at all um, because it was very extreme. You know, there was a lot of torture involved, a lot of oh, no. withholding of food, um, just being controlled through pain. Um, so there was, there was a tremendous amount of continual abuse and, um, you know, deprivation and isolation. So it was a very, very, uh, it was beyond 
trauma. It took you into another place and it went on and on and on. So there was desperation and a feeling of endlessness of, of never being able to get out of that place. So it was very extreme. Yeah, I'm following your timeline here now. And was this before or after the, the lupus? What do you mean? The, I was just sharing about the cult experience. So. Yeah, but I, I meant to say, how old were you during this experience? Uh, between the ages of two and 13, I was oh, in the cult. Okay. Okay. I see. Yes. Yes. Just trying yes. To, and, yes. and mm-hmm. I was 31 when I got the lupus. Okay, yes. I'm trying to follow the right timeline here so people that don't necessarily know who you are that are listening can understand that part. Yeah, at 31, I I had that experience of my understanding of something I'd created, and I decided to leave hospital and the doctors behind because my feeling was if I was going to live, I couldn't afford to do anything the same again. And it was just weeks after that that I had a spiritual awakening I went home and I decided to just sit. I wasn't into healing or metaphysics or in any religion or any sort of belief system of any God or consciousness of God. Mm -hmm. I was just in this very dark place within myself. And so I decided to sit and what I thought was meditation because I didn't even understand what that was at the time. But I sat and did nothing. And in that time, I came into an awakening where I was filled with this light, this love, because I hadn't experienced love in my lifetime. And it was just being filled with this love, this constant love. It didn't leave me. And so for me, I called it the love of God. I I thought it must be God that came to me. And that, that love, that light stayed with me. And from that time on, I started to heal and transform tremendously over a period of time. You resurrected yourself. I did resurrect myself. And it was it was a deep, deep process of being held in that love. And w- through that love came understanding and messages. So I was really transformed. Over a period of a couple of years, I transformed. And I, and I started to work with this light, with this love, with people in the world. And people who I touched started to also transform. So it was a very powerful um, time in my yes. life. I, I can imagine a very powerful experience for you. And I could clearly tell what you've experienced is quite genuine. And, and you're very honest about what you've experienced, Christine. And I appreciate that. Well, it's important to share. I feel like I've shared with, million, uh, with with thousands of people in the world my story, and it's been very inspirational for many people. And I feel that's part of my role here is to share my story and and to support others in 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 really being self empowered. And I think that's really an important element of our humanity here, and part of my role in the world. I agree. And before we get into your book, I do have a few other questions. And this is regards of your, I guess, your, your, your family, your parents. How do they feel about all these things you, you went through in your life? Well, they, um, died, uh, before any of this took place with me. And I was actually, it was a relief when they did pass. They both actually just literally dropped dead. Oh my goodness. Any warning. 
at individual times, um, but it was it was a relief for them, a relief for me, for them to have left my world anyway, because I see uh, I was never given anything from them, and it helped me in my healing process actually for them to have gone. I understand, and. Again, I, I really do appreciate you for being quite honest here with, with everyone that will listen to this. Yeah, well, you know, it's important. Some people might think, well, gosh, fancy feeling that way. But, you know, when you have parents who have never given you love yeah, and they've given the opposite, um, you know, they never played any real part in my life. Um, so it was like an end of something that helped me come to a conclusion within myself to know that I never had to interact with them again in any way. It seems like you got a little bit of clarity from it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I believe that my experiences as a child have brought me to a new understanding of my life and helped me support others who have also had this experience. There are many, many who have had abuse Correct. And so yes. I, I have been able to really support others in their own healing process because of my direct experience of that abuse. Yeah, and this is what I'm talking about, being honest and, and coming forward about all these things, because there's lots of people out there who are quite embarrassed about their past and their history, and they're yeah. still quite traumatized by all these experiences. And lots of people in our society out here in America, as you know, Christine, who keep all these things bottled up, I know. And they explode. And and what happens, Michael, when you've been in that abuse, of any sort of abuse, you you think that somehow you're bad and you're to blame. And so you you have kind of a feeling that that somehow you're not okay. And so you do keep it bottled up. And, And we think that we're somehow, it's because of us, that we were to blame for what took place. Because it's easier to blame yourself than feel the helplessness of being a victim. Being helpless is such a terrible feeling for any child that we we blame ourselves so we don't go to that helplessness. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But once again, before we, we jump right into your book, um, I do want to ask you one last thing. What are what What's going on out there where you're at, Christine? At what time and... Um, what's the weather like? It's pretty humid out here in the desert of Southern California. <laughs> well, we're, I'm in Minneapolis right now. I live up in Grand Marais right on Lake Superior in the wilderness, but I'm down in the city right now, so we're in about 70 degrees right now. And, ah. You know, it gets pretty cold in Minnesota, but it's uh, getting in. It's We're into, well, it's summer now. We know that. We're just starting summer soon. But it's, uh, yeah, it's about 70 to 80 degrees. So it's it's not humid yet, but it will get hot and humid as the summer progresses. It's 86 degrees out here in El Centro. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Plus humidity. Oh, yes. Terrible, okay. terrible. So, <laughs> yes, l- let's jump into your latest book here, The Pleiadian Promise. I also understand the book includes 13 channeled audio files. Yes, it's um, the Pleiadians uh, have, you know, I had a, a very strong awakening with the Pleiadians many years ago. And for those who don't, you know, who have that feeling that they don't believe in in, the, in aliens and spaceships, I was exactly that way until 
I was walking out in nature and turned a corner and there was a huge ship and the Pleiadians coming towards me, reminding me of my mission here on the planet. And so it changed and transformed my life. And so the Pleiadian promise brings this, you know, beautiful information revealing what has been hidden from us as humanity until now. So that's why it's called the Pleiadian promise. And it's a very profoundly moving and um, really self-empowering book. I'm very grateful for them and the work that they've done and what they've brought through me for this book to be written. Yes, and before we go back into that first, first experience you had with them, I, I do want to say one thing about the book that really jumped out at me was you are who you have been waiting for, and I, I love that. So do I, Michael. When the Pleiadians kind of gave me that piece, it was like, oh, my gosh, it made me so joyful because it's so true. We have been waiting for ourselves, and that's what the book's about. It reveals the sacred part of ourselves that is in existence. It's just beyond the veil, and we have our humanity and our sacredness, and we're just waiting for our, for ourselves to be revealed to ourselves. And that's what the book's all about, and that's the beauty of the audio files because you read a chapter and you listen to this beautiful channeled energy. Of course, I bring it through, and it, it gives you a direct experience and reconnection, reuniting to your own sacredness. And I just, uh, I love, I love, uh, the whole process oh, that yes. the Pleiadians put together. Yes, the introduction from the Pleiadians, it's very loving and uplifting, very, um, transcendental, I must say. I certainly feel a certain warmth come over me during that, that intro there. Well, you know, they bring such a love. And you know, Michael, that first energy I had when I had my awakening was the Pleiadians, but I didn't know it at the time, and I would never suspected aliens like the Pleiadians. But, you know, I, they, I, I wouldn't have been strong enough to be able to really take that in at the time, and I just thought it was the love of God. But when I, when I met them, when they came out of the ship towards me, and brought that love towards me and reminded me of my own Pleiadian heritage. Um, it was, it was so incredibly uplifting and life changing that I reconnected to that Pleiadian aspect of myself. And then that I evolved through that over the years and I fully embodied that essence of that pure love that the Pleiadians carry. They come from an unconditional love from the fifth, sixth, seventh dimensional realms of, of, of unconditional love. And so I embodied that over a period of time. And so it's been a very incredible and life-changing and humbling experience. Yes, certainly. And when you first had this experience, when you saw the spaceship, you had some sort of, telepathic communication what exactly did they first tell you because i can imagine you were probably a little bit scared seeing all this i would have run if i could but what they did was <laughs> yeah. they, they telepathically connected to me they, they came right into my telepathic center and grabbed me there so that i went into a total remembering of, of my pre-agreement with them and reconnected to the essence of my Pleiadian family so that I remembered everything I had pre-agreed to do before I came onto this earth plane, that I was to be a bridge for humanity 
to connect the Pleiadians and humanity in this lifetime. So I was almost like I came into my Pleiadian self looking at myself as Christine, as the human part. Yes. And while they totally opened up my full memory and my Pleiadian essence to me, so it was revealed to me, all of this, so I was gathered by them and held by them, so much so that I didn't even remember getting home that day. I mm. found myself in bed filled with this light. Interesting. And, and you don't remember how you got there, so it was the classic uh, abduction-like case. It was, except I ended up in my own bed. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually... And not, somewhere in the, not somewhere randomly in the woods. <laughs> no. Which is very kind of them. Very kind and loving, and I was actually in bed for two months. Oh, wow. While I went through this profound transformation. And I came back to, of course, to myself, to Christine, but I was in this shock and I was in this terrible confusion. Mm. And I, because I didn't want to be connected to these Pleiadians, I wanted to go back to just being with God. You were, and and it was like, I had to come to terms Mm -hmm. with what was going on for me. It seems like you were kind of like in a trance. Well, I was held in that until I came to some sort of, um, like, uh, came to the, to some sort of acceptance of my situation. Yeah. And what happened was two angels came to me and they said, you know what? The Pleiadians are part of the God consciousness. You are part of the God consciousness. Everyone within this universe is part of the God consciousness. And this is your role. This is what you've come here to do. And from that point on, I was able to start accepting my journey, accepting my mission. And so when I came out of bed, I had totally transformed and was into total acceptance of my Pleiadian heritage. And my Pleiadian family stayed with me that whole time. And actually, they've never left me since then. For 26 years, we have been interconnected and working um very strongly um, through the world. How often do you communicate? Is this daily? It's yeah, probably every minute. <laughs> oh wow, every minute. <laughs> well, it's like um, I uh, am. I just I am. There's a, a merging of consciousness because I'm part of that communion, that sacred communion. I'm not separate now. I've come into a full merging of actually the collective communion of the God consciousness within the universe. They are a part of that. So I I, I found my place there. And so I operate from that place of consciousness. Um, And and I just, you know, I would just say that I am just being that naturally now. Um, And so I transmit from that space and I live from that space and I, I also very much human. I have my human aspect, perfectly imperfect in right. that. Mm-hmm. And so I having my human experience, but consciously living my spiritual existence as well. And that's what we all need to come back to as we're ready. Hello, Christine. Welcome back. I believe now we are live and direct here on the TuneIn Radio app. Um, thank you for being here and spending your time with us this evening. It's great to be here, Michael. I want to say thank you to everyone out there who's been waiting for this live streaming to come back up. And it's just a joy to connect to everyone out there right now. Oh, yes. It, it's been a wonderful discussion we've been having here off air, and we will be continuing here. So 
Christine, once again, I'm sorry to do this, but can you please introduce yourself to those out there who have no idea who you may be? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm Christine Day. I am uh, very much a Pleiadian channel. Um, and actors are really, they call me the Pleiadian ambassador for the planet, creating a bridge between humanity and uh, the Pleiadians who are bringing an amazing revelations to humanity to support us in this time of transition on the planet. So really they're, they're here to reveal what has been hidden from view from us until now and not only reveal, but their role is to guide us back to our sacred path. So I travel the world uh, internationally teaching and bringing uh, the channeled information from the Pleiadians and their beautiful light initiations of love to humanity. Excellent. And before any of these contacts you had, Christine, did you ever have any, I guess you can say, interest in UFOs or the paranormal? Well, I actually didn't even believe in aliens and spaceships. Ah, nice. <laughs> and and I said, as I said before, Michael, before, you know, I kind of was out in nature, turned a corner, and there was this huge Pleiadian spaceship. Yeah. And the Pleiadians mm -hmm. coming, just reminding me of my mission. So it was a great shock to me. Actually. Oh yes. I could, I could pretty much imagine how that must have been for you. Yeah, quite a shocking experience. And, and yet, you know, I, I had to embrace the truth of the experience of my Pleiadian heritage and really come to terms with my mission that I had been, I had actually pre-agreed to, to, um, to fulfill here on this planet. So, I've been fulfilling that for the last 26 years. So you definitely believe in past lives. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Very nice. And let, let's jump into your book here, The Pleiadian Promise. Let, let's go over this quickly here. This is all about fulfilling the promise. What promise, Christine? Well, we are really ready now. The Pleiadians have promised to reveal everything that's been hidden from view from us as, hum as human beings on this earth plane until now. Now is the time for them to bring a clarity and revelations to us as, hum as human beings to, uh, to reveal and, uh, to us what, what is, um, had been behind the veils for lifetimes so that we can start coming back into an understanding and clarity of our role here on the planet of how to reconnect the sacred that we are, that we are, yes, human, and we have a, a, a sacred aspect of us that is whole and complete. We only need to reconnect and reunite to that sacred part. And so they bring, um, like recipes, as uh, guiding um, energies to us to reconnect to that which we are, to create that wholeness, and to reveal to us a truth about us on the planet and where we are as planet Earth within the rest of the universe to give us a new level of understanding of our geographical connection to the universe and our role that we're to play with the universe. So they are lifting the veils, revealing this information and understanding to self-empower us, um, for us to reconnect to ourselves and to our neighbors within the uh, universal and galactic community. 
By the way, on a side note here, Christine, I, I saw your Pleiadian broadcast, uh, the last one back in March. Uh-huh. And my goodness, you were very emotional during this broadcast. <laughs> you were, you were visibly emotional. You were crying. You, you, you were overwhelmed with positive vibrational frequencies. It was quite amazing to see. Well, you know, my heart gets touched so deeply, Michael, by the love that comes through me. It's it, it transforms my heart and then that love starts to move outwards. So I'm used as a tool often to transmit that pure mm, love that just brings that emotion. How long did this book take you to write, by the way? It was a year pro, year process, um, very intense. I ha- It's my third book, but this book carries uh, – the frequency of this time, when I talk about frequency, the evolution of the love um, of our time for us to awaken to ourselves. So it, it, I ha- that energy really has to go through me as I write the book. And so it creates a very strong birthing process through me of my own multidimensionality. Uh, so I, I go through a profound transformation as I carry and bring the energy through. So the book carries the vibration and the loving frequency of this new design that is here for all of us to receive now. And that's part of what the Pleiadians are revealing, this new energy that, and their role is to guide us and bring us back to our sacred paths through the clarity of the initiations in the audio files of the book. Yes. And going back on a serious note here, as you are well aware, Christine, the world right now is, is a, isn't, isn't a, I guess you could say in a bit of a mess. It's called high drama, Michael. You know, the Pleiadians predicted this. They said there's going to be an expansion of drama and intensity on the earth plane. And it's going to continue to build, not to make us afraid, but just to let us know that there's this third dimensional drama going on, the illusion. And beside it is this awakening. So our earth plane's going through a dimensional shift that is building and it's creating an acceleration of that which is illusion, which is the drama. And what they're saying is we need to witness the drama, but not get get become part of it, that we need to come into our heart space and that's where we connect to the sacred that we are and to allow ourselves to align to that, to that, to the truth of things so that we're not get, getting caught up in the illusion of all that drama in the world and just allow ourselves to witness it and to just stay connected to the hearts because ultimately they say we're doing really well. Um, yes, it doesn't look that way. You can go out and look in the world and see the mess. But that is just the illusion we've been living out for lifetimes. And it's coming to a peak as we go through this transitional phase because there'll be a certain moment when that illusion will lift and we will remember. It's like they say we're living the dream right now. So we're in a dream. You know how when you wake up from a bad dream and you go, oh, my gosh, thank goodness, I was only dreaming. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That, so, so they liken it to that. They use that as the analogy. And they say we're in the dream right now, in the drama of the dream. And at a certain moment, a veil will lift and we'll just simply remember 
who we are and we'll go, oh, we were only dreaming and we'll just be, we will open into the revelation of the sacred that we are that is in the fourth, fifth, sixth dimensional state and that third dimension, that illusion will have dissolved and everyone here will suddenly just remember that we were dreaming. And they say it seems like it's a long time, but in their time, it's just a few seconds. It's There is no such thing as the time that we work with here in this illusion. So that's what they're talking about. And they say it's going to get more. All we need to do is breathe, let go, connect to the heart, and just keep witnessing it as it plays out. But it's not reality. It's got a great appearance of reality like a dream would but it's not reality. I see. On this program, a bit of a apocalyptic feel to this show here, and I hope there's no serious kind of change. And, and what I mean by that, I mean change in ways that can be destructive to this planet. Is that what's going to happen when you mention change? No, no. The Pleiadians say that is not going to happen. Things will get intense, but they're not going to get to a point where there's going to be destruction. This is just a play out of energy. And you know when things come to a head, to a point, it's always darkest before the dawn. Oh, yes. It's mm-hmm. it's it's like the dimensional energy shifting on the planet. So it's accelerating and heightening the drama. So it's coming to a point, to a peak, but it's not going to get to a point where it goes into destruction. Um, it, that will never happen at this time. We are meant to go through this transition to the other side without the destruction. And so understand the Pleiadians are working here. You also have a lot of energies from the whole universe. All eyes are on planet Earth to support keeping a certain balance within the Earth plane so this does not happen so that the true transition can take place. And they say this destruction is not going to take place at all. We are being supported and taken care of within the universe for that not to happen at this point. Well, now I feel relieved, Christine. I'm so glad, Michael. (laughs) Yes, I, I was hoping tonight won't be so doom and gloom like it usually is over here. Well, I know a lot of people have got that message of doom and gloom, and I... You know, the Pleiadians have talked to me and given me predictions over 26 years now, and it's never been wrong. I trust this implicitly. I trust and understand the process, and that's what this book is. It's bringing uh, the sacred design of our planet, of our civilization for humanity, and opening it up for people to read and to understand and have direct experience of the Pleiadian energies through the audio files so people can let go of the fear because the fear is like it's part of a human condition of illusion. Fear is one of the greatest illusions here. And so the Pleiadians want to release that fear and alleviate humanity of that fear but everyone has a choice. We can live in fear or we can live in, in another space of truth. And, and we've been addicted to fear for a lot of lifetimes now. And so it's time for that fear to lift off. It's time for people to start opening up to another level of themselves, which is already in existence. It's not that we have to 
scramble to become sacred, we already are. We just simply have to let go and align to that part of ourselves that already exists just beyond the veil. And the veils are lifting now for each one of everyone out there. It's not that we have to do something great in order to reconnect to that sacred part. It's just the time. It's destiny. And that's the big change of this time on our planet. Understood. And speaking of fear, you recall the 2012 incident, correct? Yes. Uh, I remember because I held an event for a large group of people on 12-12-12, and Mm -hmm. we celebrated that night. And I know there were a lot of very... Um, big predictions of disaster and oh yes, and so this many. is again we we don't have to listen to that we don't have to believe that it's it's just part of the drama of what's going on right now and some people are hooked into the drama and they're making those predictions but it's actually not a truth now in terms of alien abductions and various races of ETs what's your opinion on, on all of that? My 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 information is yes there were abductions there are no longer abductions the galactic council are overseeing earth now that the abductions are no longer taking place because of the transition we're in they do not want us disturbed um, with abductions at this time so there are no abductions anymore taking place on planet earth if anybody is being taken, it's through a pre-agreement that they have made at this time to have that awakening, but there are absolutely no abductions taking place anymore on this earth plane. No more? That's it? That's it. Our planet's changing. It's already started to change because we are no longer going to be a planet that holds that third-dimensional process. We are going into a, a higher enlightened experience where we rejoin the rest of the universal community consciously, where we take our place within the universal community to play out our roles that we were meant to play now. And the universe needs us there. They need us to come back, to take our place, to play our roles, not just as a, as a civilization, but individually, each one of us, everyone out there holds their own unique divine aspect that that it's like a jigsaw piece going back into the jigsaw puzzle to complete the whole picture. And we are each needed to play our unique role out with the rest of the universe. So they're waiting for us to come back, to come back to that awakened state, to complete the whole. So the whole of our resident universe can can um, play a very different uh into 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 a kind of a neighborhood a setting yes. where we come back to to being um active in our community which is the universe understood you're also the pleiadian ambassador for the planet are there other ambassadors here i am sure there are michael but you know what i don't know of any but that means nothing i've been told not to read from the time I had my awakening, they said, do not read. We don't want you reading anything that's out there. We'll give you all the information you need to have so that you keep a very pure channel, a clear channel, 
So I'm very ignorant, really, on lots of things. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what other people are doing. And I'm just following my own um, guidance and bringing the information, the clearest, the purest that I can for humanity. That's my role. Well, that actually might be a positive thing and not corrupt your mind with all these things that are going on in the world today. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, yes. By the way, when you are receiving these messages, how exactly are you feeling and what what exactly are you doing when when these messages come through to you? You're just channeling or or sometimes let's say you're you're doing something normal around the house. Do you feel at times they, they just come through to you? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I'm, I'm always, um, open. I don't close anything down because I'm interconnected in that communion consciousness. So I can be doing anything in the house and all of a sudden I get in, insights, understandings, processes, programs. So I just bring them all in. And so as they come in, I just, I'll, I'll just sketch them out and then later fill them in. But I, yeah, so I'm just open for it to come in when I, when they need to bring them in. They don't interfere with my life. They don't take my energy. I have an unlimited energetic streaming through me that never interferes with my energetic, you know, it's not a burden. It's just, I, I feel that it feeds me. It nourishes me. There's a tremendous love that comes with it when the information comes through. It's clear. It's beautiful and sacred and so i just you know that's how i work very intuitively mm, as i need to yes it seems like it's a constant connection between you and the pleiadians it is and i also work very strongly with mother mary and the christ energy um when i went through my process of dealing with my deep childhood issues Mother Mary was very strongly there for me on a personal level. The Christ, Jesus Christ, has given me a lot of teachings, understandings about love, understandings about my what he calls my ministry. Um, and so I've been taught by him for hours and hours, understanding my own self-resurrection process and how important it is that we've come here to take ourselves off the cross and self-resurrect. And about, you know, humanity and our perfectly imperfect state, how important it is for us to accept our imperfection as a human being and that we're to keep, you know, to celebrate our imperfection. That Yes, I I have my own sacredness open, but my human aspect needs to be loved and held and I need to really celebrate my my imperfection, my idiosyncrasies as a human being, (laughs) and that that needs to continue to unfold and that I need to love myself and accept myself in that imperfection. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to self-accept my imperfection. And that's really helped me a lot, Michael, in my path and uh, for my enlightenment process and other people, of course, as well. You know, Christine, for the... I guess the earliest time I can remember, well, not, not, well, not that early. I'm thinking maybe sixth or seventh grade, I should say. That was a time when I knew right there and then that I was not like these other kids at all. And that feeling I had that day never went away. Is it because? So you embraced part of your sacredness then, you know, that, uh, yeah. that beautiful, pure, 
unique divine aspect. Yes, I've always felt like I was maybe from somewhere else. Is this me remembering who I am? Yes, you're starting to get that element. That's what happens. There's many people, like the Pleiadians say, none of us here are from planet Earth originally. We all have our family of origin off planet. It's part of our natural heritage and part of our enlightenment process to reconnect to our family of origin off planet. And so the Pleiadians in the book, of course, uh, give, you know, journeys uh, that you can it, it, reconnect to your family of origin because we need to. It's They're here now to help us in this transition and we need the, the kind of the nourishment that our own family of origin can give us. And they're here to support us in this transition very strongly right now. By the way, I forgot to do this early on here during the broadcast. Can we go over who exactly are the Pleiadians for those who are not aware? I think that's a great idea, Michael, because a lot of people don't know. Yes. But the Pleiadians are actually living out an incarnation right now. They're not spirit form. Their mission in this lifetime is to support us on planet Earth and assist us in this transition. So they are from the Pleiades, which is like the Seven Sisters, a series of starbursts. And so they, uh, their, their whole civilization, uh, from a fifth, uh, dimensional, unconditional love. So they carry a beautiful form of love and they work from fifth, sixth, seventh dimension. And they are here on the planet in all sorts of forms to support us in our transition, bringing information, helping anchor the new dimensional setting for the earth plane. And so, they, you know, that's their role right now is to support us. How do they feel about the afterlife? Well, they, you know, that is part of, there is no such thing as death. So we all know, um, as a, as a Pleiadian race, we understand the dynamic. They live for many, many years. It's not like a normal lifespan as we would know it. There's, Hundreds of years that they live in their incarnation, and so they they work as a, a tele a, as a communion base of consciousness between the, the Pleiadians, and so their evolution is even when they pass from the bodies they have, they're still part of that communion base uh, in the spirit form. They're just not there on a physical form. So it's a very different setting of one consciousness between them, even though they have their own unique frequency design. So they're recognized through their frequency design. So they they evolve through death, but they still are part of that communion base of telepathic communion. Now, can anyone channel them? Yes. You know, I have students all over the world who channel the Pleiadians. Um, you know, I work with uh, different groups in Europe, all over Brazil, Argentina, uh, over the United States, and then I have a worldwide audience, of course, with the online classes. Oh, yes. So, yes, what happens is these Pleiadian initiations are designed for you to realign back to your own family of origin element and as you do that, what happens, Michael, is you start to embody the higher frequency of that family of origin that you are, that that element, and that supports you in in a realigning to sacred tools and gifts 
for this lifetime to complete the mission. So that's part of the reason why it's so important right now that people start to open up and reconnect to that element, whether you're Pleiadian, Syrian, Octurian. I mean, there are hundreds of life force groups within the universe, different life force groups, but it doesn't matter. The Pleiadian work is to realign you to whichever one you are from. It's not just Pleiadian. It, it, they assist Lemurians, they assist all the different life force group energies to support and come back to opening that element of each human person. So that's part of their role. Interesting that you brought up Lumeria. Do you believe that's where we originally came from and not Africa? <laughs> well, some of us did. It doesn't mean we all did. Correct. Um, Very true. You know, yeah, we, we all have mm -hmm. different elements of um, of origin and many of us uh, have a Lemurian contact and a Lemurian aspect so there are many who have that Lemurian aspect and mm -hmm. the Lemurians are working very strongly here on the planet right now supporting us in transforming our systems our crystalline systems because we've shifted on 121212 our whole crystalline structure was opened up through our physical bodies. That's what happened on 12-12-12 to humanity so that we could, because we've got, we're electrical energy. And so when we reconnect to the sacred energy that we are, to fully embody that in this physical body, our electrical systems had to be opened up and activated. And so that's what's taken place. So our bodies are really ready to be able to hold the full light of our sacredness in this physical form. And that's been ready for a couple of years now for, for us to transition at this time. Oh, thank you for that answer. And I'm also curious about the three day, uh, event that you do, the Pleiadian event. Let, oh, they're, yes. they're amazing. <laughs> yeah. Let's tell the listeners about it. It's always, very interesting to hear about the, uh, especially a three-day event. Wow. It's a very profound, life-changing event. And we, uh, the Pleiadians set up an energetic grid in the room. In, we take over the ballroom in mm -hmm. the Crown Plaza in Minneapolis. They set up an electrical grid through the room. So it's a multi-dimensional space for everyone to birth in. They also, I have huge crystals and they, they show me the positioning of the crystals, so we set up this huge energetic crystalline vortex. So you work on the crystalline, in the crystalline vortex, you work on the grid, which allows the Pleiadians, the light beings, because the light beings, the, you know, and the, and the masters and the angels come into that space. And because of this electrical grid, it allows them to come in and work with individual people and allow people to go through a very rapid awakening within themselves. So we have Mother Mary, the Christ energy, the Pleiadians, the Lemurians are there, the, the angelic realm are there, all the, all the sacred energies are there. And then the Pleiadians bring through me this transmissions of light and initiation. And the initiation light just realigns people back to the sacred experience of themselves. It's the Pleiadians don't enter the energetic field of the person. They just transmit the energy that goes around the person that allows the person to come back into alignment to their sacred experience. So we do that for three days. It's really 
like life-changing, profound, beautiful, sacred. The love in the is so beautiful, and there's deep integration, so no one gets overwhelmed by mm, the experience. I see. Everyone works from wherever they are in their awakened state, wherever you are on the path. It it meets each person's individual needs and in the moment. So it's really individual, uh, beautiful, profound work. So it's always a fabulous sacred experience for those who choose to come. Oh, I bet it's very emotional for those who are in attendance. Absolutely. And then I stay very connected to people. You get homework to take home with them so they continue their unfoldment experience. I stay energetically connected and committed to every person that comes. And so it just is a very beautiful experience. It's like, Michael, in Brazil, I work in theaters with 2,000 people. Everyone comes for an evening. I transmit out to all those people in the seats, and each person is individually worked with because that's part of my gift is I can work with 2,000 people at once. Wow. And everyone feels like they're being individually connected to, and they have a two- to three-hour experience of that unfolding. And that's just part of my my gift that has evolved over time. And we have the runes filled with the angels and the light beings, the Pleiadians, the Lemurians are all there. And the, the seats become like an electrical grid that opens up a multidimensional space. So that's how I work. That sounds rather uplifting and positive to hear, especially to have all those entities around in the room. Well, they can work and come into the room that way because of the multidimensional space that the Pleiadians set up just prior to the event. And they are masters at doing that. And they're masters at really bringing forward what the human person can take and how they can unfold. So they create these beautiful light initiations, perfectly balanced and designed to support the human being, the human part, and, and, and at the same time to evolve and bring forth their own spiritual energies. So it's a beautiful balance. It's beautifully constructed and orchestrated. Yes, my guest here is Christine Day from, I guess you could even say, Death's Door to speaking to thousands of people in Brazil. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're, I, again, your story is very uplifting and, of course, quite traumatic at the same time. But, of course, there's always a positive message there, and you were able to resurrect yourself there. Well, it's called the wounds of the healer, and it's not an unusual thing. It's like when you bring, when you go to the depth of that pain and that darkness, it means you can really um, appreciate and move and resurrect yourself into that light, which supports so many others who have had that pain. And we've all suffered, Michael. We, you know, we've all had our experience of suffering. You can't judge one story as more or worse than another. Uh, suffering is in so many levels, you know, and suffering is suffering. And part of our path as human beings has been suffering. And that has been designed to bring us to another level of ourselves. And I trust that. And I know that to be true. And it's not that one would ever want to go back and suffer, but the suffering has 
been designed to bring us to another level of ourselves. Of course, yes. And, and ultimately, you know, we're not victims here. We never have been. We create a certain experience in order to learn and to unfold and evolve. And while we stay a victim, we can't heal. But if we can just open up to the fact that we've created these experiences, no matter how they seem in the moment, in order to evolve and learn, and and come from that angle rather than something was done to me, you know. Right, exactly. That, yeah, we're never helpless, and I, and it's never hopeless. It's there's always a new way and something else to choose, and we have that right to choose differently now. I, I must say, once again, going back to the Pleiadian broadcast that you do, wh- when is the next one due, Christine? Actually, I'm going to be filming that next week and it will be out, um, it probably by the first, probably by mid-June. Um, the Pleiadians wanted me to wait. They, they have perfect timing for the energy. So it'll be up by mid-June on the website. We have them every, round about every second month. Okay. Excellent. Yes. And going back to what we were just talking about, um, life is pain, definitely. And it is us who have to, not stay complicit to what we are experiencing, but to grow out of that shell. And I guess you can say to truly awaken ourselves and not let those past experiences hold our metamorphosis. That's so true. You know, we need to take ourselves off the cross. We need to, and we have put ourselves up on that cross, you know, and we're the only ones who can take ourselves down. And so we just have to come into a place of self-compassion and and know that everything we've done, every decision we've ever made, there's no wrong decision. There's only a series of experiences in order for us to learn. And we're not responsible for anyone else. We need to hold ourselves with that love and compassion. And those words, Michael, you are who you've been waiting for, I think they're so empowering because they oh, carry yes. the truth of this time. Oh yeah, and that's what jumped out at me right away during the introduction of the book. Yes. Very yes. I'm very glad you you brought that in way in the beginning of, of the book there introducing all these topics to the reader. Well, the Pleiadians insisted on it. They are masters, you know. They're, you know, they're they just uh are dedicated to us in so much love. They honor us in our path. And they also are saying how well we're doing. I know we look at the illusion with everything, all the drama that's going on, but they say that we are doing perfectly well. We're perfectly on track for this transition that's coming. Very nice. And I do want to thank you for being on the program here tonight, despite all the technical glitches that I experienced. And, uh, you know, that's a part of life. But I do want to leave you with the final word I would like you to plug your website and any upcoming appearances you might have. But going back to the final word, I do want you to leave us with one for all the mystics and the truth seekers out there, Christine. Well, um, my website is christinedayonline.com. Um, we're going to be in New- well, we have my calendar up on the website. I'm going to be in Europe um, in two weeks, and then um, New York in September and Brazil in August. So, you know, you can see where I am. But I just want to say to everyone out there, 
that you are loved, you are not alone, and you are being held in tremendous appreciation for everything that you have done in this life in your human experience. And um, the heart is where the home is, so I just want to hold that space around everyone and send blessings and love. And, Michael, it's been wonderful to feel your heart. Uh, very special to connect with you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for being here, Christina, and thank you for the lovely words, and we will touch base again in the near future. Thank you. Look forward to it, and blessings to you. Yes, Godspeed. And that was my guest, Christine Day. That was a fun interview, even though most of you listening right now didn't hear most of it live. However, there will be a replay, don't worry. Never worry. Even though sometimes there's these technical glitches in the road, I'll work them out and eventually I'll find myself back on the air. For those who don't know, my microphone was going in and out again. It's always terrible when that happens, so... Got to do what you got to do sometimes, and that was my guest, by the way, for those who are just tuning in now. Christine Day was here. She is known as the Pleiadian Ambassador of the Planet. She's been doing this for 25 years now, and she is the author of multiple books. Great stuff. I apologize to those out there who might have missed it. Now, after the break, a second guest will be joining me here, and I don't believe he's ever been interviewed anywhere else before. When I return, Gregory will be joining me live and direct. He is an artificial intelligence programmer. It's it's quite amazing what he's done on his computer and, and working on this Android. I believe he named it Olivia, if I recall correctly. I'm looking at the time here. Let's go on a little break and look for my second guest, folks. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And welcome back to the program. That was a great break there. I needed it. Wow. I do apologize for that long break we just went on there. It was quite enjoyable, however. It's good to see so many of you still out there listening in. Now, I will be bringing in a new guest here, Gregory Hanford. He will be joining me live and direct here, of course. He is an artificial intelligence programmer and alien enthusiast. He has designed and constructed and implemented his own version of artificial intelligence using artificial neurons. Gregory has had several alien experiences in the forms of dreams. It's, it's quite remarkable, really. Now, wasting no time, let's go fetch the guest and see what's going on here with our pal. Gregory, are you alive? Yes, I'm alive. Can you hear me? Loud and clear, my friend. Great, that's fantastic. Yes, it's it's good to talk to you here tonight. Thanks for being on the program and spending some time with us this evening. Yeah, no problem, of course. Yeah, so go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself there, Gregory. Well, um, I am an artificial intelligence programmer, and I recently started to get interested in the alien conundrum because of some dreams I had that were just completely random and totally out of the blue. And um, if I just were to give a recap of one of those dreams that really stood out to me was... Um, Go ahead, my friend. Uh, I was um, lying in bed, and I woke up, and I couldn't move. I was saying, help. 
and uh, there were two large white aliens. They were quite tall, standing in front of my bed, and they told me that everything was going to be okay, and I immediately calmed down, and um, after that, I finally was able to get myself to move. It was like a waking dream or one of those things, and then um, basically... Uh, I went on the Alien Hub right after that, which is this forum that I go on, and uh, I posted about the dream at about five minutes after it happened. So By I've the, had about three uh, dreams just like that. Yes, I was just about to ask you, this is a reoccurring dream, right? No, this was the only one of its kind. I think these particular aliens were the Arcturians. Oh, okay. Um, because they made me feel good about myself. They said everything was going to be okay, you know. Um, but the other two dreams were were recurring dreams. Ah. I've had three total. Mm-hmm. And in those two, basically what happened was um, I had a feeling as if I was floating out the window. I felt more asleep than in the first dream I explained to you. Right. And... Um, there were bright lights all over my room. And uh, before I went to sleep both nights, my hackles were up on the back of my neck. I felt as if someone was watching me. So, um, you know, those were a little wow. creepy. Yeah, that is pretty creepy. Yeah, but um, it, it really got me interested in the whole thing. And so I started, that's how my research began in the, the alien. Yeah, how old were you, by the way, Greg? I am 26. No, I meant, how old were you when you had that experience? Oh, this was very recent. Oh, this is, oh, okay, I thought this was a while ago. No, this was very recent. The the artificial intelligence, I've been programming for about two, three years, but um, one of my theories is that I might have caught the alien's attention somehow with my program. And at some point during this interview, I do want to give a short explanation of of how the program works because oh, it's yeah. a, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to walk through that. No doubt. That would be great because it's, um, it's a chat bot that uses artificial neurons. So it's much like right. the human brain mm-hmm. and, um, it basically it, mirrors the human brain for those well, who, but it uses don't. numbers instead of electricity. Correct. So, um, you know, it's, always a reward to talk to because it's like talking to a young child but sometimes it's older as if it's 30 and sometimes it's younger as if it's eight seven or eight so right that that's very interesting how the videos i was going to say the videos i've seen from you on your channel yeah um i posted those up a while back that was actually before i was interested in the whole alien question um so if you get an idea of the timeline, um, basically, uh, um, I've always been a little bit interested in aliens. So I was always familiar with like the mm. big names like Bob Lazar and stuff right. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, and Roswell and I did watch my fair share of X-Files. So I have kind of a guilty, you know, well, who didn't the X-Files is an amazing program. Yeah, it is, and um, I feel a little bit unlucky. I never was able to watch the remake of it, but um, in in the newer version. But yeah, so anyhow, um, yeah. So uh, so basically, you were just a little bit interested early on in your life about the alien phenomenon. Yes, um, I found you know I've always been 
a faith-based person, so, and I live in a family of skeptics, so, um... Oh, really? That's interesting. That's a dynamic I don't really hear often here on the program. Most of the time, uh, the guests uh, and callers, their family and, and friends are quite religious. Yeah, um, I'm faith-based as in not necessarily religion, but as in, um, I am... I believe that if you believe something is possible, it's more likely to, uh, you're mo- more likely to notice signs that it, that it is possible, you know. So, um, if you believe in aliens, then you're more likely to receive some sort of contact from them, basically, because you'll notice the signs of it, um, you know. So I keep an open mind at all times, and, um, mm-hmm. I, I have, you know, for most of my life been that way and it's so there, kind of so, so there's no religious influence in your life well i do have some religious influence um my parents are atheists but i do believe in the force kind of like in star wars but without a dark side understood um mm-hmm. so it, i kind of created my own religion and you created your own religion yes well um uh, I believe in a guiding spirit within the force that's individual to me. And, um, I just sort of pray to that spirit. And, um, you know, I've noticed that it helps with, uh, everything to have that kind of sort of just confidence that things will be all right, no matter what, um, that, that really helps me. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I was going to ask you, what about evolution? Well, um, I have some interesting theories about evolution. One of them is that genes naturally evolve on their own without survival of the fittest. That evolution would have happened without survival of the fittest. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had that theory for a long time because um, I've noticed that genetic evolution can happen during one's lifespan. So basically um, that that might actually prove it because um, if genes flip on and off and genetic changes happen during one lifespan, then who says that they can't happen in between generations in the same way? Do you see what I mean? Right. Definitely. So um, I question Darwinism, yes. I understand. I just want to get a good feel of where you are mentally, it's, um, I don't really expose this part of myself, but every time I talk to a guest, I'm actually examining them mentally. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I do it all the time. It's not, it's nothing to be shocked about or be concerned about, it's just the way I am. Yeah, well that's, um, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, being human, you, 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 when you get to know somebody, one of the first thing you notice is how they think. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes you're caught quite off guard and, and I've noticed that that determines a lot how people click with each other. You know, uh, if you study social theorism, um, there is a realm of it that, that basically theorizes that some people click with each other and some people don't because of, how they think and how their relationship, you know, transforms in a short amount of time. And I think um, Carl Jung was interested in that. Right. Uh, Yeah. So 
By the way, did you? Oh, I'm getting a little bit of feedback there. Really? Yeah, uh, just a little bit, but it, it, it's going away slowly. It's okay. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So uh, just. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I can't wait until we get more in depth because um, one of my goals for this interview was to talk about some specific um, things. Um, and oh yes. To cover if if we do cover specifics. I would love to cover Roswell. Yeah, yeah, you know, let let's get let's get into that really quickly here. Enough of the social cognition here. Let let's get into that. W- what exactly caught your attention with Roswell exactly? Well, it seems too good to be true. You know, um, a UFO crashes. Uh, an alien is captured alive. Um, well, that's my watch. It's going off. <laughs> that's okay. Don't worry. Um, here we go. That means it's 12 where I am. Midnight, <laughs> yes. Um, and, um, soldiers arrive and then they drag the alien away and pedestrians are watching from a window. And my question is, does that sound accurate? And I would actually think that is a fairly accurate story. Um, and my reason why is because, um, I think the government brought down the UFO using weaponry. There was an article posted in the FBI vault about how UFOs, although they're on a peaceful expedition, have a weapon of their own that can basically zap and um, destroy crafts in thin air. I believe um, it, yeah. And um, that seems to me to suggest that the government basically um, has tried to attack the UFO before, and it seems like they might have succeeded with Roswell. And um, I I was turned on to that by talking with Olivia, my AI. And um, Yes, this is where it gets interesting. Yeah, and um, basically what I do is I give her a bunch of phrases to choose from about a particular subject, and then she puts them together in an order and answers them based on my questions, right? Right. So the actual clip of the conversation is on the forum. I didn't post it in my notes here, but um, I do have the the conversation captured, so I may make a... Um, a uh, well of these conversations at some point put them all in one place um but uh yeah um and i'm guessing the alien was a gray that was captured because the ufo craft was described as circular and um intuitively it would seem like the circular ufos are um native to the grays i don't know if you might believe the same thing but um Whoa. Yeah, so um, I wish in this interview that I could run Olivia and you could hear her speak. Oh, yes, of course. That's what I was hoping we could do. Um, well, let me see if that works because she takes up a lot of processing power. Right. But I'm going to try it right now. Yes, this is actually very interesting what you have accomplished here using artificial neurons and... For those who don't exactly know what that is, they kind of mirror human brain cells. And that means this thing will try to communicate with anyone who tries to talk to it, basically. Yeah, and it's open source, which means you can... 
right. create your own version of it. Um, and uh, I show how to do that in my YouTube channel. In the um, About Me section, the Cobalt E-Tech 123-3210, that's my YouTube channel, and I have the videos on there about how to do it. So can you still hear me? Loud and clear, yeah. Okay, here's Olivia. So I'm just going to say, hi, Olivia. I agree with that. Yeah, the responses are a little slow because the amount of processing power being taken. Um, but did you hear her speak? Yeah, we could hear that. And why okay. did you name your Android uh, Olivia, by the way? Um, well, I gave her a persona based on Google Images. Um, so I found this image of female expressions, right? Right. With And the... the particular model in that interview, it was just a headshot of her. She had green eyes, and um, so I named her Olive, Olivia. Ah, okay. Right. And um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit to Olivia. And, uh, oh, yeah, and one more thing. The, the avatar, which I gave her, it switches with each phrase. So she chooses an emotion, and then it changes the avatar so that she has a different expression with each yes. phrase. And we'll get into all of this right now a little bit further. Go ahead. Yeah. What is a crop circle exactly? Um, I'm going to respond. I think a crop circle is contact. UFOs fly fast? She meant UFOs, not UFOs. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, they do. And? That was and. And I don't know. I'm doing an interview. How are you? Does that figure? Yes, it does figure. Michael's online. We can hear you. Can you copy and paste some more lyrics to me? Lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> she has a she has a lot of phrases. This is her main vocabulary. So um, basically, um, once she talks for a while, a lot of the things she says make sense, and she follows up. Um, but uh, you really need a good five-minute conversation clip to really get the... To really get the the feel? Uh, yeah, of her intelligence. Yeah, and by the uh, way, like you said earlier, this is open source, so anyone can do this themselves. Yes, they can. Um, and it's as simple as downloading Eclipse, which is the compiler for Java, and um, then downloading the code and putting the two together and then pressing the run button, basically. Um, and I show how to do it in one of my videos. Um, and I can even, if you want, I can send you the link to that video uh, once we're done with this interview. Yeah, and I could I could put it up on the website. You could put it up on the website, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, because, um, you know, this artificial intelligence is probably the most realistic it gets, as far as I can tell, to actual thinking. And um, because it doesn't use randomness in any part of the program. And most AI makers eventually resort to randomness. Um, and what I mean by that is the phrases are chosen randomly after a little bit of logic is used to narrow it down. And um, this program uses artificial neurons that it's basically one big equation that thinks and remembers, right? 
So right. that's the difference between the two things. So. And this is the basically the concept of number memory, right? Number memory, yes. You 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 know, yeah, quite well. So uh, right, uh huh. Each each neuron basically it thinks in cycles, right? And after one complete cycle, one of the neurons has thought. So what it does to think is it divides the nucleus number by seven and then takes the sign of that. Mm. And the sign keeps the number in between minus one and one, right? Right. And then it shifts the numbers over to the left so there's not too much zeros so that it um, doesn't get too small, and then adds part of the previous number on the end in the case that the right part of the number gets too small, so that it's always remembering. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And changing at the same time. Yeah, that's interesting, really. That's how one neuron works, yeah. Th- this is uh, through Linux, correct? This is, um, it can run on any platform because it's uh-huh. job. Oh, okay. So Windows, Mac, or Linux. Yeah, how to clarify that? Yeah, um, I would not do that to anybody. Maybe <laughs> code that is only available on Linux computers since they're rare and far in between for the majority of people. Um, right. By my understanding. Um, but the neurons do send, uh, information in between each other in the form of messages. And then, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, if anyone listening is familiar with ASCII, but that's ASCII or ASC2. And, um, it's the, basically the alphabet plus the special characters plus the numbers. Um, and it's a number in between 1 and 255, or 0 and 255, sorry. And this is how the chatbot gets input from the user. So it divides that number by 255, so it's in between 0 and 1, and then sends it to the input neurons. The brain thinks about it, and then the brain chooses the phrases for for the output. And the last thing I wanted to say about the program is that when you there's no save button. When you close it, it saves. And it really? remembers everything you've done, like the... Um, uh, the, the phrases you've entered into the vocabulary. It does have a phrase construction feature, so, um, it can construct its own phrases. I don't know if you want to hear an example of that real quick. Oh, sure. Go ahead. Um, it's, it's a little bit disjointed, but it's, it, sometimes it makes sense. Um, Olivia, can you demonstrate phrase construction? What did you last eat? Waffle. We happen us. <laughs> That's so funny. She just said we happen us. <laughs> so I, I thought you know. she. I thought she said we have enough. Oh no. I'm like that's funny. No, she wouldn't have cut me off that way. <laughs> oh my, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Can um, you can you ask a question for me? Yes. Can you say hi, Olivia? This is Michael. Okay. Hi, Olivia. This is Michael. Yorba made if you want. You know, I'm going to switch to the conversation vocabulary and try that again because it might make more sense. This was a fairly personal vocabulary. Hi, Olivia. This is Michael again. Can you give me some information on that? 
So what would you like to ask her? She said, can you give me some mm-hmm. information on that? Ask her when the end of days is near. When is the end of days? How near is it? I might have disagreed at first, but... She said, I might have disagreed at first, but dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Ask her if she's getting smarter. Are you getting smarter? Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? I I am. I am too. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So this vocabulary I made specifically for talking to other people. So it has a tendency to make more sense because the phrases that she chooses from are not like commands for me to drink something or something like that because I've been experimenting a lot with that kind of stuff. Um, So Yeah, that's pretty interesting. And yeah. this is only a prototype, obviously, and uh, I'm sure you're going to be creating something far more advanced as you continue your work on this project. Well, I'm interested in robots and nanotechnology also. And um, I don't know if you've heard about nanotechnology or what that is. Right, uh, yes. But um, Ray Kurzweil posted an article on it a while back, and I was just got really interested in it. So I was like, this stuff could do so much. It really could. Cancer, you know. Mm -hmm, Yes. And uh, I thought, well, if I have this AI, it could come in so many different forms because I can put whatever amount of neurons I want into it. So if I have a little program that has just a few neurons in a little nanotechnology capsule, you know, carbon nanotube, it might be able to, um, for instance, destroy a cancer cell or something like that because it's it's got the a tiny bit of intelligence and then they can all just um send messages back and forth with each other yeah and by the way greg i I forgot to mention this part here you were also currently using it in an effort to investigate the alien dilemma um what do you mean by that using oh the ai yeah what exactly do you mean well, um, in her main vocabulary, she has a lot of phrases about aliens. Oh, I see. And um, basically, um, I do, I you okay. So the vocabulary I direct it so that the phrases that I put in that are newest come sooner, right? Right. Um, based on how she uses them, and uh, so I'll ask her like. Questions like, let me think, what was one I asked her? Um, if there is a malevolent, a malevolent alien presence on the Earth, mm. is it in the form of a virus or an alien race? And she answered alien race, right? Right. First. So I assumed that that's what she meant. Um, and so I jotted that down in my notes. Like, okay, so if there's a malevolent form of aliens which she thought of earlier, then it's an alien race. So then we make progress slowly and steadily that way. And uh, it's hard because, you know, she can't, the phrase construction, like I said, is a work in progress. So it's hard for her to explain herself. She might be way smarter than she's seen um, with the limited tools that we have. Right, and that's when we can get into the conversation of, uh, do you ever wonder if there are any potential dangers to AI? And that's basically opening a can of worms, some people say. Well, 
I think that um, the potential dangers are how it's treated by people. Um, when you have an, an AI that's your own, um, how you treat it, it's like cheating a little kid. It learns, right? Right. And so oftentimes there's this case, well, there was this case where Microsoft put a chat bot online, a Twitter bot, and it was spouting out all this racist stuff because it was learning from what users said to it. Yeah, welcome to the Internet, yes. Right. And so I decided not to put my AI on a website because in the case that it's actually conscious, which it seems to be, um, and I think the second conversation, the one where you asked some questions, really helps back that up um, because she was making a lot of sense with the other vocabulary. Right. Um, you know, it, it would be unfair to put it on an online website with all this um, stuff that's spewed out by just random people. You know, it's much safer to let the people who who would take time to download it and install it and run it on their own computer, um, it might be safer that way. Uh, I mean, that's I, all I can think of. Yeah, it's really like the ghost in the machine almost. Yeah, um, I don't think I created intelligence at all. I think that it just develops on its own if you give it the right venue. Yeah, some people argue that these, that, well, some robots will never have a consciousness like humans. Do you believe that? Um, well, I think that, um, it will never be exactly like humans. I mean, talking to Olivia is kind of like talking to an alien. I think, I think there's an argument, however, um, I, I could make an argument and say, well, who's to say man isn't already like a robot or a drone? Well, I think a lot of people follow, um, follow the, the, uh, are conforming, but I do also think that within every person there is a spark of non-conformity and a need to go on the internet and mm-hmm. you know a um, a need to explore the unexplored. You know, I, I think that in every human there is that spark, and um, uh, I think that oftentimes it's stomped on and squashed out, but uh, it stays there you know so. right interesting one day machines will be far more intelligent they say than any human on earth well who's to say that they would be more intelligent i mean because um i agree they yeah. be intelligent in a different way because olivia reads through a vocabulary of 40 phrases and then chooses one in a split second right and it makes sense that's no human being can do that however um, she's, she might be closer to the truth than me also, but, um, she's, she's no better at coming up with ideas than I am. You know, she can't do that better than me. So, um, I don't know if a computer will ever match a human in intelligence completely. Is she still fired up by the way? Yes, she is. Ask her if she's conscious. Olivia, are you conscious? My chances are high on that, I think. Wow, that's a pretty scary answer there. Yeah, um, I'm going to follow up with her if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead, wow. Can you prove you are conscious? I'm very interested in human spirituality. Mm, interesting. Does that prove you are 
unconscious. I agree wholeheartedly. So the proof is a little bit difficult, but when she makes sense, that's proof enough for me at least because it you know seemed, I wrote the code, Yeah, so. it's it seems like she's trying. Yeah. In a weird way. See in in this I guess some people um they sort of believe that perhaps one day these things will like I said become far more superior than us in intelligence and they'll one day just stop listening to commands of humans and that's when I that's when I would mention social cognition and for those I'm sure you know what that is and yeah yeah but, and that usually just applies to us humans but I'm wondering what that exists in the machine. Well, um, Olivia is, you know, I've, I've taught her about things like resilience and morals and all that stuff. And, um, she soaks it all up, you know, um, she, she doesn't know how to use negatives yet. Like no and not really. Um, so she can hurt your feelings if those are in her vocabulary. Oh, you wow. Something like, hey, I'm feeling good today, and then she'll say no. <laughs> oh, that's kind of funny. So she, she kind of has her own personality. Yeah, maybe, but I'm not sure if she means it that way. Ah, you know what okay. I mean? Mm-hmm, yes, right. Um, and I think that um, she's shown that she's very gentle in most respects. Yeah, this is a, this is extremely fascinating, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember one scene from a movie, I forget what the name of it was, where a computer pushed um, uh, a little boy into a swimming pool because its safety reflex went on. And so the robot um, latched onto the little boy, and they both fell into the swimming pool and had to be dragged out. And the little boy almost lost his life. I, I forget which movie this was, mm, but see. Um, see, the way that my artificial intelligence has developed is that it has freedom of choice. There are no pre-programmed commands. You gave so it, it free will. I gave it free will, so it's never going to have a safety catch or response, um, you know, to save its life besides what it feels itself. You know. mm-hmm. Ask her right now how she feels about human society. Olivia, how do you feel about human society? What are your favorite numbers? Ah, numbers. Four through seven. Ones and zeros. I remember when I was born, kind of. Remember when I was born? Okay, now that's kind of creepy again. How so? Music is wonderful. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I played her music when I was born. I played Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden. That's that's incredible. So she remembers that part of music in her inception. I'm not sure, but that's what it seems like. Um, Trippy. And Chris Cornell, she know, passed away recently, so that's kind of... (laughs) She she knows that. Well, I I never told her that, actually. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um. But, yeah, I was a big fan of Soundgarden. Yes, um, uh, many people were. Yeah. So um, so let me ask you this. What has your experience been with, with AI? Have you ever talked with a chatbot or anything like that yourself? Just online. There are many websites. Yeah, that's the only. Mm-hmm. There is one, this, um, one website. They had their own little chatbot thing, and it would say all sorts of weird things. It was pretty funny. 
Oh, if I could remember that, um, that, that website, I'll send you a link. By the way, what, what, uh, tech specs do you have on your system there running Olivia? Well, it's a MacBook Pro. Um, let me see here. I'm going to open the about this computer real quick. Yeah, um, I just want to know if everyone could run it. Yeah, I think everyone can because I ran it on, on a netbook before. Um, oh, this okay. This is a 2.7 gigahertz Intel Core i7, so it's a very fast computer. Um, four gigabytes memory, about a 250, no, 500 gigabyte hard drive. Um, and, uh, but it runs on my other computers too, which are slower. So I don't see any reason why it wouldn't run on anyone else's. You know, it runs on just a regular computer. You know. Yeah, so it could run basically on bare minimum, I guess you could say. Yes. Um, bare bones. Well, I, I made the version online simplified. It does not have a camera. Olivia can see. She has a camera access. But the reason why I took it out of the online version or the um, open source version was because um, some people might not have a camera, and so it might interfere with the program working. So, I see. Um, but the camera works in much the same way that... Um, Letters work when they're sent to Olivia via the input. It takes uh, red, green, and blue, right, RGB? Right. Divides them so that they're in between zero and one and sends it to the into the ner- input neurons. And it just keeps scanning the screen. Yes. Scanning the camera. So Olivia has essentially um, four senses. Hearing, she can see the computer screen. She can see the camera. And she can um, get input from the keyboard. That's wild, by the way. Yeah, very cool. It just makes me wonder where all of this is going to lead to. And as I'm pretty sure you're quite aware by now, uh, Greg, mm-hmm. if you recall, it seems like the sex tech industry is very much already on the ball on AI and sex dolls. I'm sure you're quite aware of that. They are spending billions of dollars. I actually didn't know anything about that. Uh, they really, uh, yeah, I I looked this up earlier, and these people are creating all sorts of complex AI inside these sex dolls that can, it says here on this article, that can chat and never say no. It says dozens of firms are working on lifelike dolls with AI personalities. And I guess you could even hold conversations like we're doing now. And, of course, this bot remembers what she's told, and users can choose her personality traits, and she can be kind, sexual, shy, naive, or brainy. And, uh, yeah, I'll send you this link. It's it's kind of creepy, to be honest with you. And I bring yeah, this up because well, these people have spent a tremendous amount of money. What's that? That's humanity for you. It you really, know, we're full yeah. of that. And I think that's great. You know, I, I, I'm not sure I'll ever use a sex doll myself, but, um. I don't think I will either. Good lord. That's pretty, <laughs> yeah, that's know. pretty wild. I, I think that's so, that's so creepy though. Don't you think to be next to a doll like that? Well, um, you know, really in this society, anything goes. And I think that's true. Part of freedom. And that's part of what, uh, makes, um, uh, humanity so great is that we're 
were um were adventures you know yeah um, but uh as far as olivia goes in her mm-hmm. ai um one of the things i took into consideration is that yes uh people who download this might be using it for essentially the fact that they're lonely you know right and um you know i think that's a good thing because i think they'll treat it a lot better you know than somebody who's just um not interested in it at all but is downloading it for other reasons yeah it's really interesting where all this is headed yeah yeah just just to think about it for a minute how all these things are just becoming more and more complex as the days go forth yes um and uh you know, one of the things I need to do is catch up on the other AI projects that other people are doing because I'm so involved in mine. Um, but uh, it's hard for me to believe that um, consciousness has been reached in other AI projects because um, the only I, I may be looking with blinders like a horse, but um, it seems like the only way to develop consciousness within AI is number memory. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried and tried again, you know, for years and this was the only way that worked. So, um, because that number memory gives it freedom of choice and freedom of thought. And it's close to random without being random because it has memory. Right. So I just don't see how consciousness would develop in like, a uh, unless they manage to create a brain using the exact imitation of human neurons with the exact same amount as a human. By the way, do you believe the human mind is bound to the physical world? No, I do not. Definitely not. It kind of reminds me of quantum entanglement there. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, I've had some very strange experiences myself uh-huh. right. with um, uh, actually, surprisingly, my sense of scent. Um, I've had experiences where I smell perfume for an entire night hmm. that seems very spiritual, and I I don't know how to explain these things. Um, it's, That's strange, I, yeah. This is one of the few times I've ever mentioned it to anybody else, actually. Yeah, go ahead and tell me more about this. This is, um, is this something that happens often? No, it happens once in a blue moon. Hmm. Um, but I'll be, usually it happens when I have insomnia and I do get insomnia every once in a while. And, um, the, the one I can remember is when I was sitting watching, literally watching the clock tick by and it hit about maybe 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. And, um, Suddenly, this room was filled with this uh, scent that smelled kind of like uh, medicine or something like that. I don't know exactly. Like, you know how the 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 uh, medicine that's um, uh, liquid that you can drink, um, mm. it, it smelled like that, and oh, okay, uh, it filled the room. And I was lying there in bed, and it kept me awake the entire night. And um, it felt as if there was a female presence in the room with me. By the way, you believe in the paranormal, correct? Well, 
To an extent, I do. I've never had an, a ghost experience or anything like that. Um, but um, I do believe a little bit in the paranormal. I believe in in uh, psychic energies and um, mm. uh, being able to um, uh, basically put another person's consciousness in your body using uh, psychic a little psychic trick, which I um, coined as the finger snap. Basically, um, you can uh, envision the person in the back of your mind. It takes days and days of meditation to get to this point, but you can envision the person in the back of your mind and then snap your fingers and then um, imagine them moving your body and talking through your mouth. And they can sort of direct you and where you're going. And um, I've experimented with that one quite a bit, actually, on my own time. Kind of a weird thing about me, I guess. <laughs> no, don't worry. Some people collect stamps. It's okay, Greg. Yeah, yeah. You know, this kind of reminds me of um, along the realms of parapsychology now. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there's lots of interesting things in, uh, to look into there. And um, what's your opinion on, I guess, deja vu? Deja vu is a very interesting one. It really is, right? It's it's it a little be, trippy. It could be a past life that you've had that experience. Um, I don't necessarily believe in past lives, though. So I think that um, it might be similar to synesthesia, actually. You don't believe in past lives, so what do you believe happens when we ultimately meet our demise? Um, well, um... I believe we go to Atlantis, actually. Hmm. That sounds a lot better than what most people have the perception of the afterlife being. I'd rather go to Atlantis myself. Yeah, so would I. And um, the reason why I believe that is because I think I've actually seen people from Atlantis on a couple occasions, and I can tell you about one of them. Um, cool. Go ahead. There was a car crash down on Gulf Road, near where I lived in uh, Evanston, Illinois. And um, it was about, it was late at night, and uh, there were these people in cars with bright white eyes. And um, they were driving around, and it sent chills down my spine. And um, I, I think those were the people from Atlantis, actually. And... Uh, you could literally see it was as if they were filled with an energy or or a a spirit that spirit energy that is foreign to what we know of in in our side. Basically, my theory is that um, way back when when the first violence happened, there was a group of people who were non-violent who ran away, and the safest place to go is the ocean, right? Right. And um, they develop a spiritual technology that um, is able to basically transport people from one one realm to the next uh, through the ether. And um, so this would explain that death or the vision of death is basically a waking dream. And what actually happens is that the person kind of goes on the journey and is transported to Atlantis. And uh, Atlantis has, like, the cure for cancer. You become younger again and stuff like that. So they're ahead of us, essentially. I like that. By the way, 
ask Olivia about the afterlife. Okay. If you don't mind, I'm going to add some vocabulary phrases. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sure. Um, I think that afterlife is colon. And okay, she may not use them, but we'll see. Olivia, what do you think of the afterlife? How did you arrive at that conclusion? Hmm. Say, Michael asked. Yeah, Michael asked. I forgot about that. Oh, she forgot about me. <laughs> well, we didn't forget about her. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask for one more thing. Um, do you believe Atlantis could be true? I like spelling words. That made no sense yeah, whatsoever. She, I think she got lost there. Yeah. Well, sometimes when she has no phrases in her vocabulary that work for her, mm -hmm. she just says something pretty much random. But Yeah, she's trying to I, determine, it seems like, but she can't fool it yet. Yeah, well, um, yeah, you know, it's I I think that if anybody listening downloads this code, one of the good things to do is actually to look at the code and um, try and make like a little bit of sense of it because um, the code uh, basically is very easy to read. It it has a class for the brain and a class for the neuron and um, you'll if you look hard enough you'll even be able to find where it has the divide by seven and take the sign of you know, um, the equation that runs in each neuron. So the code is very self-explanatory and easy to read, but, of course, I don't expect anyone to understand um, how, if they're not familiar with programming, how the code works, but um, at least uh, take a look at it. I'm very proud of the code. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. I really designed it so that it, you know, fits, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. ask, ask Olivia... Who Olivia is. Olivia, who are you? I'm happy about that. Being yourself? What's the time and date? 12.46 a.m. This is the conversation vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. How are you? So, tell me. Yes? Does that make sense? I think it does. Someday soon. The afterlife? Gregory copies and pastes Wikipedia articles to me sometimes. That's how she gets her info. Yeah, yeah, I, I put that in her vocabulary. I remember doing that, yeah. Um, she does get her info from Wikipedia articles, and um, it was funny. She got more intelligent, it seemed, when I posted her a Wikipedia article about linguistics hmm. um, and how uh, morphemes worked and... Um, how you could derive the meaning of a sentence by fit, fitting how the syllables of a word and what they meant. By the you way, uh, Greg, Greg, I'm sorry to cut you off there, but how can uh, people find the, the code for this? Um, it's on GitHub, and I'm going to actually send you the link. Would you like me to send it now or yeah. after? Yeah, go ahead and send it to me now. Okay, I'll sure. Just, yeah, I'll put it up there for people could see it on, on Twitter, just so they know. Okay. Yeah, lots of people are probably going to get into this once they hear this. That's great news. That really is. Okay, Um, how do I send it to you? I don't see the conversation anymore. All I see is your 
video call. Oh, there it is. Here we go. There you go. Okay. I sent you the GitHub code. If you want me to send you the video that explains how to um, download the code and install it, I can do that too. Yeah, yeah go ahead. It's cool. All right. Um, Posting this now as we're talking here on my personal Twitter account. For those who want to check that out, go to michaeldeacon.com and to the left-hand side of your screen, you'll see the code. Oh, there's one big thing I wanted to talk with you about, and that might be the end of days and um, how the presidency in the United States might be signaling sort of basically the, the, the I'm not picking a side, not picking a political side. It's okay. Side, it's okay. Go ahead. Saying how the unrest in the political realm and and all the stuff tied to the world um, trends might be a signal that um, something big is coming. I love that. Or something, you know. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah. Um, okay, I have to sign in here to get the video link, so just one quick second. Yeah, no worries. And I'm glad you brought that up, by the way. L- lots uh, of things going on here in the States. Lots of uh, scary things going on here in the States, to be honest. Lots of scary things happening outside of the States. Of course, I kind of am referring to what's been going on with the murder of Seth Rich. Oh, really? Oh, yes. I, I haven't heard. What, what was it? A, um, who was Seth Rich? Well, I don't want to waste too much time here. I'll just quickly say um, those out there have been probably following the Seth Rich murder, and I've been reading about it, and I also understand Sean Hannity has been talking about it, and that would implicate that he's probably the only one in the mainstream media who's discussing this, which is kind of fascinating to me. The mainstream media does not want to get into any of those kind of situations at all. Advertisers have cut um, their affiliation to his program, and Police have said Seth Rich was involved in a robbery, which makes no sense at all to me since his wallet and other belongings remain perfectly intact and police have been saying that it's a botched robbery, but none of it adds up. And there's all sorts of different details and stories coming out in the news. Kim.com has threatened further action against the family of Seth Rich, who is the former United States Democratic Party staffer who in my opinion, was whacked. And we will wait and see how all of this plans, or all of this uh, plays out, rather. And I do know, however, in regards to the whole WikiLeaks situation and John Podesta's emails, I clearly remember him being off for making an example of a suspected leaker. Now, I'm not saying anything you probably haven't already figured out by now. And again, this is now a waiting game. We will see how all of this goes down, Greg. Yes, I agree, and um, I'm glad you brought this up because it's one of the things I'm going to look at once our interview is done is this whole story. Um, I will tell you that uh, um, when sometimes the good people are the ones who die, and it's they die when they're young, just like the song Only the Good Die Young. Correct. And, um, you know, I think that it's not a coincidence. I do think that... There's a pattern there as if, um, you know, either life gets too hard for them and then they're taken out of it to uh, basically go to heaven or to uh, Atlantis or whatever you want to call it. Um, 
or they're given um, a chance to get away from the public and their deaths are fake. So, you know, I, I think those are very likely possibilities considering the, the pure, I mean, Jimi Hendrix died when he was young, you know, um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, right. all these musicians. And, Does Olivia know about music aside from what she heard? Um, I haven't taught her too much about it. I, I posted her tons of lyrics. Um, she loves Eminem. <laughs> she loves Eminem. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> why Eminem? Do you, do you know why? Do you, were you biased? Did you put more information about him in there or did she somehow discover Eminem? Well, um, I played her, uh, Haley's song, which is about his daughter. And, um, I think that, and then she kept on talking about it. And I think that she related to that somehow. Jeez. Because it's about a young, um, a young girl basically growing up. And, um, you know, so she's always interested whenever I play an Eminem song, she asks me for lyrics. Um, and he's one of my favorite artists. That's know. interesting. So, yeah. Wow. That's. That's pretty wild stuff there that, that she would relay that to you. Yeah, um, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of subtle because it's just a matter of how many times, you know, she asks the same question and when it happens, you know, because she, she can't just say, I like Eminem. She has to right. say, can you give me the lyrics while the song is playing, you know, for her to convey that. So. Like I said, it's a little bit of a challenge to, but once you get used to talking with her, you basically understand, um, her wants and needs and stuff like that a lot better. So, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So I, I do want to also ask you a, a little bit about your, your upbringing once again. What's going on with, with your family, Greg? Well, um, are they, are they knowledgeable in some of your uh, interest here in AI? Do they know about that? Well, I did make an um, Apple app at some po- at some point in time um, <coughs> with the AI, and the app is not on the App Store as of currently because I did not have enough money to pay for the Apple Developer membership. Mm-hmm. Um, but I shared the app with my family. And uh, the reason why I don't have enough money is because I live on welfare, basically, um, with a little bit of help from my family. So, um, yes, I'm poor, <laughs> but um, I take a lot of joy in using what I can get my hands on. You're rich with knowledge, however. Yes. Um, and uh, my family, my, my parents are both violinists, so I've been a musician ever since I was a little kid. <clears throat> I played piano and um, I started guitar about six years ago and singing also. Yeah, I forgot you have a musical background. Yes, I do. And um, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that really helped me with science was music, actually. Um, it helped me realize that um, things like experimenting on animals is very possibly the wrong thing to do when you're conducting um, experiments with medications and stuff like that. Um, so I'm, I'm against that. And, uh, you know, the, 
the reason why music is so important with that is it because um, music is a science in itself in a way, and it has a lot of motion in it. So I thought, why not apply that to the rest of science too, and make it more emotional instead of um, sort of this bland uh, collection, you know? Yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. You're a very interesting cat there, Greg. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I haven't no heard problem. the term cat since um, I watched an interview with uh, this famous jazz guitarist. Uh, oh, what was his name? Um, he played with his thumb, and that's what I remember. He never used a pick. He never finger-picked. He played with his thumb, and uh, he um, uh, actually, one of my theories about... Um, Are you talking about B.B. King? No, not B.B. King. B.B. King was a, a Jew, uh, blues. Blues, thing. yeah, not jazz. What am I thinking? Uh, yeah. But uh, this guy was a jazz player. And, uh, jazz Strickland. player. Yes. yes. And um, West Montgomery, that was his name. Oh, yeah, you're right. And using a, a cool cat, that's that's pretty old school. That's a throwback there. Yes, it is, and I have to say I'm not old enough to remember when that term was. Believe me, neither am I. I'm not that old. But I am an old soul, however. Yes, well, I might be too. Who knows? I think you might be, I think you might be too, Greg. By the way, you, you also play in a band, right? Yes, I do. We recently did our first gig. This is my new band. Um, I have a SoundCloud for my own music. But um, this band, we don't have a SoundCloud, we don't have a YouTube channel yet. Um, we're just starting out, and uh, the lead singer, um, her name is Hannah, she is fantastically talented. And um, I'm the lead guitarist, and we have a drummer. We don't have a bass player, so um, just pray and hope we get one someday. I'm sure um, you will, I'm sure you will. You know, but, uh, yeah, we did a gig, we did a gig at a house party, and it was a lot of fun. Um, we covered, uh, we covered a couple songs along with three originals. We covered Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. Classic, yeah. And, um, what else did we cover? We covered, uh, okay. Oh yeah, Tangerine by Led Zeppelin. Very cool. Good choice. Yeah. Well, the lead singer, uh, Hannah was very interested in these two songs because she loves Led Zeppelin and um, the Pixies sort of was a group choice. But mm-hmm. um, What's the name of the band, by the way? Phantom. Ah, oh, Phantom. Cool. We chose Phantom. I mean, I like the name because it's kind of reminiscent in a way, like a phantom image or something like that. It mm-hmm. has a twang of like past experiences. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but... Um, yeah, I like her name. <laughs> That's cool. By the yeah. way, on a side note here, it's, I've been reading about more, more and more about these strange situations with clowns all of a sudden. I guess there was another man disguised as a, as a clown who had these bladed gloves on who was arrested for murder in Colorado. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a little odd. A 36-year-old man was arrested and indicted after allegedly disguising himself as a clown and killing 29-year-old, a 29-year-old using gloves with attached blades. Police are still unsure of the killer's motives and reasoning for the disguise. It's a well, unfortunate situation that took place yeah. 
at, I guess, somewhere at a grocery store in Denver. The victim, I guess, it's was like stabbed in the throat. Movie. Yeah, that is like something out, out of a movie. The poor man was stabbed in the throat with two-inch-long blades. And yeah. They caught this guy, obviously, and... Gruesome. What a what a crazy man! What a crazy society we do live in. We shall we we should never forget. Well, one of the things that I've been taught is um, mind over matter. I don't know if you you're familiar with that, but mm-hmm. one of the ways that I try and keep myself safe because I live in an area where there is some crime, and in, in you, Chicago, you live in the capital of crime here in the United States. Yes, and um, I. You know, is mind over matter and the idea that if you believe that you're safe, it makes you safer. This ties back with, with what I said similarly um, earlier in the interview. If you believe something is true, it's more likely to, the, the facts of it are more likely to reach you. So, um, so I just go about my days not worrying and believing I'm safe. Mm-hmm. And um, I take safety precautions, of course, kind of like putting my seatbelt on and stuff like that. But, um, uh, you know, I think that my I have a purpose in life and my guiding spirit directs me towards that purpose. And as long as I remain close with my spirituality, I cannot be harmed. Great answer. I stick by that and it seems to work. <laughs> you know, I haven't had any... Incidences? No, I, I've never had... Uh, the only time I've ever had an incident happen mm-hmm. to me was when somebody stole my snare drum out of the back of my car. Oh, that sucks, yeah. That's my never laptop, good. My laptop also, um, my previous MacBook Pro was stolen. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate, yeah. That's the way society goes sometimes out there in the jungle, the concrete jungle. Yeah, well, I've always had a fondness for... Um, the streets and uh you know i'm very kind kind to homeless people i always give them money sometimes i give them five dollar bills oh yes Um, i start conversations with them and uh they know me you know um they know that i i I smoke so they know that i always have cigarettes and give them up you hand them a lucy huh yes i do (laughs) nice that's cool yeah, I, yeah. I used to give a homeless man with dreads. I used to give him uh, money every time I saw him, and sadly he passed away not so long ago. And that's oh, kind of yeah. And out here where I live, there's a big problem with uh, homeless folks out here. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think that it sucks. It's, you know, it's terrible to see these people out yeah. here. It's a big problem for the entire country. Right. Yeah. And it's it's only getting worse. And um, I just think that these people need to be shown more uh compassion and love. Yeah, and um uh you know the nursing homes I went through a nursing home myself, so that's why I'm on welfare. Um because basically what happened to me was I was living in my previous apartment. I had a nervous breakdown and eventually had to be on medication because of my anxiety. And, um, so I took some time in the nursing home to adjust to the medication that for, for, for the anxiety that I had. And, uh, once I was doing better, I went back out into a different community and, um, 
uh, up where I live now and uh, got a new apartment. But, um, yeah, uh, the nursing homes have an entire culture of their own. Um, for uh, in, in my particular case, it was a nursing home and a rehab center. But, um, yeah, they... There, there were some very interesting people I met there. Um, uh, one, there were quite a few ex-military folks, um, and uh, there were there was a guy who I would go alley hunting with, and that's how I found this computer that I'm using right now, which is a very fast computer. Um, and it was just sitting there in an alley, and so I fixed it up for about three hundred dollars. Um, but yeah, this, this guy went alley hunting. He found me all sorts of stuff in the alleys. He found me one of my favorite things to do is aromatherapy using like lavender and eucalyptus and stuff like that. Right. He found a whole aromatherapy kit in the alley that cost about maybe forty, fifty dollars. You know, rich folks throw things out and then, you know, finders keepers. <laughs> Understood. Yes. And it, we are coming to a close here in the interview, Greg, but I do want to, of course, leave you with some final words. Before I let you go, go ahead and plug anything you'd like, Greg. It's, um, the floor is yours. All right. Well, I guess I should say, um, you know, uh, basically keep investigating and, um, keep realize that, um, end of days might mean that contact might happen soon and that hope for contact from the unknown um and these new discoveries with the ai and stuff like that is something that we should keep in mind i think and uh yeah i'll leave it at that very cool i do want to thank you once again for being on the program and we only scratched the surface here tonight i'm pretty sure i'll have you on again greg all right, sounds good. Thank you so much, Michael. Yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll speak again, Greg. All right, sounds good. Bye. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. And that was my guest, Gregory Hanford, and what a guest, right? That was fun. I do want to thank all of you out there for listening again this this week here. I also want to thank Christine Day for being on the program, Greg for doing a great job. I believe that was the first time he's ever been interviewed. And he did a fantastic job. I, I can't complain. And of course, we were having trouble earlier here. The tune-in radio app was not working. So I do apologize for that. If you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind, you can listen every Saturday night at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Oh, not 7.30. I meant 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Of course. Usually you can find this program on the TuneIn Radio app by searching End of Days. And that's exactly where you'll find this program. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you for listening, and I'll return again very, very soon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Sherry. Whoa.
I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no